What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined as always by Derek Terry of the Cats Paws. Derek, how are you? Doing well, Sean. Uh, getting through the week. Um, happy to be joined by you again. I mean, this game weeks, man, when we get in these routines, and even though it is different this year, it just seems like it flies by. It does, and... It seemed this week seemed weird. Like it's Thursday now that we're recording this episode. It's going to be a scouting report of Ole Miss. So we're going to be uh, joined by someone from the Ole Miss beat. I'll let you introduce him in a second, Derek. I know you've previewed this, I think, on Tuesday's episode. But it felt like the early part of this week, we sort of had like that slow news, like where there wasn't a ton, which is kind of weird now that we're into games. Uh, but then it, it really picked up, and this ended up being a pretty good news week with the UK Louisville basketball talk, and then Olivier or not Olivier Sar, sorry, I went ahead there because uh, Dick Vitale, Olivier Sorry tweets about it 50 million times, so I think that's been on my mind. But Joey Gatewood got his waiver. We talked about that, uh, so it kind of been quite a bit of news this week. Has been. It's worked out funny in ways that you know typically when we record these episodes, it's what, what would you say around? noon 1 p.m most days yeah and this week because of different reasons uh i know you're busy a couple days ago i wanted to watch the reds on wednesday and today uh so we decided to wait a little bit to record these episodes and lo and behold news came out <laughs> both times when we waited <laughs> that we could talk about so got patience. lucky there i don't know if we need to keep doing that but uh patience it, is it key Derek. patience is. is key it but is. we also yeah go ahead we also got reviews last week, and we just want to say thank you for those before we get into this episode. We got a review that was talking about how this is a grind. And, yeah, it is a grind. I mean, it's a daily thing. But, two, it's something that we both enjoy. And as long as we know that people are listening and they're enjoying it, it it's really not a grind in my mind. It's more of a – it's it's kind of feels – I don't know, Derek. Does it feel like that even though we don't really know these people that we're talking to every single day, it feels like we do? When we see those yeah. numbers and those downloads and people engaging with the show, it, it makes us feel really good, and we appreciate all those positive reviews. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know I check the numbers every day, see if anybody knew. Uh, obviously, we can't tell the exact people. We see the numbers, and it really does feel like here lately we've settled in to you can pretty much count on a certain amount of people listening every single episode. So I'm sure a lot of those people are the same ones who tune in every single day. Um, tweet at us. Let us know that you're listening. Uh, I know Sean will appreciate it. I do too. And uh, that's why we do this. I mean, I like it. I, I enjoy talking about these things. It's a fun way to, to pass some time. And I know you guys out there who love Kentucky, you, you probably listen to a lot of podcasts, listen to a lot of people. I'm, I'm glad that you choose to spend 30 minutes or so of your day listening to us. 
Yeah, and we're and we're always going to give you our honest thoughts about Kentucky, whether it be good or bad. That's what you'll get from this podcast. Is we we won't sugarcoat things for you. We'll give you exactly the way that we would want it be want it to be presented to us if we were a fan. Uh, but Derek, I want people to start tweeting me with pictures that they're going out to the butcher's pub because I've had a couple people tell me that they've listened to the show and actually gone to the pub. Tweet me pictures. If you go out there and you try that delicious buffalo chicken sandwich or you try those uh, 75-cent wings on Wednesday, or if you go out there this weekend and you have open mock night and you kill it, send me a video. I'll retweet it. And we, who knows, you might be the next viral star, and it might start at the Butcher's Pub. So get out to those two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. You can check them out on Facebook or visit thebutcherspub.com. So, Derek, why don't you just go ahead and introduce who is going to be joining the show today. Just tell a little bit about him and maybe your friendship and how you know him. Yeah, so our guest today is Brian Scott Rippey. He does some work for the uh, Ole Miss 247 side. I believe it's called the Ole Miss Spirit. Um, Brian, somebody I met in college. He was a fellow intern of mine. Uh, we were actually the only two interns for D1Baseball.com our senior year's college. He, he graduated from Ole Miss the same year I graduated from Kentucky. So I met him mostly online through that way, and uh, I've hung out with him a few times over the years. He was in Lexington a few years ago. Uh, saw him in the press box, and then last year at SEC Media Days, we hung out. So Brian is a, a great guy. Uh, I always enjoy talking to him. He always makes me laugh uh, every time I meet him, and he has some things in here that I think were pretty funny. Um, but we can go ahead and get to that interview, Sean. Yeah, so here comes the interview with Brian. You're listening to Kentucky Daily. Welcome back to Kentucky Daily, where we're now joined by Brian Scott Rippey, a friend of mine who has uh, long been associated with Ole Miss Athletics. Brian, first of all, how you doing tonight? Pretty good, pretty good. This is a little more official. I had you like on phone on Skype on my pod last night. We're now on Zoom, on video. I can see both y'all's faces. Y'all, uh, y'all are high rolling it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, the one thing that's come out of this year is, is being familiar with Zoom. My last podcast I had with somebody else. We operated on Skype. Uh, Zoom seems way easier to me, but uh, Sean does most of the recording and all the editing, so I appreciate his efforts in that regard. So, Brian, last weekend, Ole Miss, uh, the Lane Kiffin area, the Lane uh, Lane Train, comes in to Oxford, a 51-35 loss to Florida. Uh, But a lot of offense in this game. Both teams went for over 600 yards of total offense. Uh, Just in general, first impressions of the Lane Kiffin era. The offense is creative, and I think there's a plan in place. And I don't just mean that from, like, a week-to-week standpoint type of thing. Like, there seems to be a plan long-term for how they want to use a lot of the skill position talent. Whereas you saw for 12 games last season, the absence of a plan is whether it's a game plan, scheme-wise, or just long-term. It was just kind of a random conglomeration of crap. With Rich Rodriguez and Matt Luke, they couldn't decide on a quarterback. I think the offense was further along than really anyone could have anticipated. You kind of heard just like any other typical preseason during camp, like the defense would win some scrimmages, the offense would win some. But I think they were a little more worried about the offense coming along with the whole quarterback thing during camp. And the exact opposite happened on Saturday. Corral looked awesome. They used their skill position players creatively, and the defense was atrocious. Brian, fans love offense. 
So what's the mood around Oxford? Even though they lost, they put up points against a good Florida team. What's the mood that you get from the fan base on maybe social media after week one? I think just cautiously optimistic. I think overall everything that happened on Saturday, I would say largely for Ole Miss fans, they would probably consider it a positive. They, the last week's issue defensively was kind of a two-pronged thing. And Ole Miss knew going into the year it was going to really struggle to generate a pass rush. They have almost no depth up there. Their best pro prospect in terms of a pure pass rusher missed a lot of the preseason with an off-the-field issue that he eventually kind of got cleared of but was still working his way back into shape. Point being, it, they knew there was going to be a lot of stress on the secondary that added some pieces via transfer, even though Otis Reese eligibility-wise has still not been cleared to my knowledge. I know there was some news that came out close to this recording and missing a couple guys, a couple transfers in late. But the secondary was brutal, and they didn't handle the additional stress well. And granted, Kyle Trask, probably the SEC's most accurate passer, Kyle Pitts and Trayvon Grimes are just a you know, nightmarish you know, first test for a group that's still relatively unfamiliar. So I, I say all that to say I think that part was probably known. They were going to struggle defensively. But with the way the offense looked and the creative ways they were able to use the Elijah Moores, the Jerry Elys, and how Matt Corral's overall presence in the pocket and decision-making looked, I think people took it largely as a positive despite the loss. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about Otis Reese right here next because uh, like Brian said about, I don't know, within the hour of us recording this, Joey Gatewood and Cade Mays, uh, probably I would say more high-profile guys than Otis Reese, nothing against Otis, but Gatewood, the quarterback, Mays, a transfer from Georgia. Both those guys got cleared with the SEC um, waiver. And as I understand it, Brian, I was hoping you could kind of shed some more light on it from what you know. It kind of sounds like Otis now has been cleared by the SEC. It's just the NCAA is still the hold up there. Yeah, it's. I think it's like the inverse of Mays and Gatewood, right? Because Mays and Gatewood already hurt NCAA, if I'm not mistaken, and it was just an SEC hangout. Whereas Reese, you really haven't heard much of anything at all. And I don't know what today's news, uh, you know, quite the news dump from the SEC office, right? What time do y'all get that email in your inbox? Like 6, 7 o'clock at night. I don't know what that means. I'm still trying to kind of figure that out. I don't know if that means Reese is eligible. I don't know if they've heard from the NCAA. Kiffin has made it sound like they've heard nothing, which you hate it for the kid. doesn't make a ton of sense. There's some rumblings that it would have been quote-unquote smoother if Kirby Smart had fully signed off on it, but just not a lot of clear information. You hope the kid gets eligible just for his sake, but I still don't know much yet. It sounds like Georgia was just not willing to help anybody out. It's kind of the same deal with Cade Mays going to Tennessee. They just they're just not in it to help kids. And it's kind of funny because Maurice Smith, who left Alabama, kind of the, one of the first big name guys to grad transfer, which I know Mays and Gatewood weren't grad transfers, but they were, I guess, the beneficiary of one of those first rulings by the SEC. And now they're they're just not willing to help anybody else out. I don't get that either because it eventually becomes a bad look because he's transferring. He's largely he's likely not transferring because he's playing a bunch, and that's some rare scenario. So other than the little bit of depth, you probably don't need the kid. So what's the point in the whole sour grapes? It seems like it would work against you in the long term. Brian, more on the offense here. So Kentucky fans watched Saturday against Auburn, and Seth Williams in Auburn's skill position players killed Kentucky. Uh, Ole Miss, Elijah Moore had 227 yards receiving in week one. Is that how you expect that Ole Miss offense to attack that Kentucky defense this week, too? I would assume in some capacity. I would imagine they would try to get 
Jerion Ely in space and get him going a little bit more than they did last week. Really talented running back, a five-star kid. Didn't think he was going to show up on campus because they thought initially he'd be a first-round pick in the Major League Baseball draft in 2019, but had a tough senior season, slipped a little bit, ends up coming there, and it's been a football player than he is baseball in the small sample size. But, yeah, I would say more and Ely are the two guys are really going to try to get going. The whole, the real question that Ole Miss fans kind of wondered uh, most of the offseason is last year Elijah Moore put pretty good numbers, 61 catches, somewhere in the 700, 800 yards range. The problem is the next closest wide receiver had 11 catches. So the disparity was almost a joke. There was just nothing outside of force feeding him the football. So you wanted to see last week if you're an Ole Miss fan, kind of who else would be that physical threat on the outside because Moore's a smaller guy, plays pretty much in all, all in the slot. And you saw a little bit of it of Dontario Drummond. You saw the grad transfer tight end Kenny Yaboa get going in the second half. The one guy I would say that you might want to look out for in terms of him not really registering much production in the offense last week is Jonathan Mingo, a big physical kid on the outside. Where's the same number as A.J. Brown and uh, Laquan Treadwell? And I just say that to say they're similar builds, so they kind of look similar on the field. He was a guy that you kind of heard about all camp as someone on the outside that could be a physical kind of go get it in the threat. And you didn't see much of him last week. But to answer your question, yes, I would think that a lot of Ely in space and a more of the middle. Right, I don't think it's been any secret. Ole Miss's defense has been a problem now for a few years. Open up this season, uh, obviously under a new defensive coordinator, I think the third one in three years, if I'm not mistaken. Um give up over 600 yards, and I'm not saying that's surprising. Florida's offense is going to be one of the best in the league. I'm sure that won't be the last team that they do that to. My question for you is, this Ole Miss defense, the personnel uh, that it's made up of, are these the guys going forward that, you know, is there hope that with this unit they can grow into something, or is it more of, just to be blunt, you know, they need to recruit some better guys uh, before they get better on defense? It's a little bit of both. It's a, it, this really stopped in 2016. Ole Miss comes off the Sugar Bowl year. Chad Kelly comes back. I remember the year they blew three touchdown leads to Florida State and Alabama within the first three weeks and then demolished Georgia after that. The team ended up going, people forget, like, I remember I remember sitting there watching Scott Van Pelt's new show at the time, and I think he called Ole Miss the best two-and-two two team in the country. And nine weeks later, that team got beat by 35 points by a four-win Mississippi State team in Oxford. So the cataclysmic fall of that defense from then on was really something that was just remarkable to watch, and it's been a problem ever since. And where it started was Hugh Freeze missing on particularly kids on the linebacker and particularly kids on the defensive line. Hell, he got the five-star receiver, so everyone was happy in February, but then they sucked defensively. They kind of replenished that a little bit under Matt Luke. He doesn't get a lot of credit, but a lot of these guys you're seeing in place are guys that they replenished the linebacker spot, which is arguably, I would say actually inarguably, their most strong position on the field right now. They just had a transition year. They lost a lot off the defensive line from a year ago, and that's what's killed them. So recruiting-wise, it's going to be recruiting dynamic players on the defensive line, continue to improve recruiting linebackers-wise. In the secondary, I think they have some pieces. These kids are still just really young kind of trying to figure it out. So it's a combination of both. But last year as a unit, despite sucking in the past defense, they were largely pretty good. Mike McIntyre worked wonders with that team, and that's kind of his shtick, right? He does a lot with a little. And they were serviceable last year. They didn't lose games because of their defense. 
But uh, the season opener against Florida had serious 2018 vibes to it, which is the worst defense I've ever seen. Brian, this is a matchup. It doesn't happen often, and it's pretty significant for both programs if they want to have a good year. So, so just how big do you think this matchup is for both teams that could send them one direction or the other direction, depending on the outcome? Yeah, Derek and I were talking about this on my pod the other night. It's a really placed game for both teams. Because you're looking at it, Ole Miss, you've got Alabama and Auburn looming on the schedule. If you don't pull this win out, you're going to con- you're going to Arkansas to try to avoid starting 0-4, and, and then in all likelihood they're possibly going to Vanderbilt to try to not start 0-5, right? As I say, 0-3 and 0-5. And and so this is a big game for Ole Miss. This is an opportunity, right? It's in that Las Vegas zone, six and a half points. It's a game Kentucky should probably win if they play well and kind of play control the game on their terms. But if Ole Miss could steal a win here, that kind of propels them into the five-ish win threshold as opposed to how in, you know how in the world are you going to scrape together three, maybe four. So this is a big swing game. These are kind of the games that if Kiffin can win the one or two of these, not that expectations in the win and loss column you know, matter a ton in this weird season that we're but you don't want it to be a disaster, and picking off coin flip games like this or close to them would be huge in terms of program momentum going forward. I completely agree with that. And I kind of have a two-part question here for you uh, regarding Saturday. I'm curious to hear one reason why you think Ole Miss should be confident coming into this game, and then I'm confident to hear a reason as to why uh, maybe there would be pause into, uh, as to why maybe Ole Miss would not win on Saturday. Well, to borrow from you, uh, Kentucky does not have a Kyle Pitts or Trayvon Grimes. That would be what I would tell you. Coupled with the way they looked in the vertical passing game week, would if there's reason for Ole Miss to think they can go in there and win this game, it's that. It's one, Kentucky does not have that playmaker that's just going to torch you over the middle of the field. And two, with the way the offense looked last week, if they can play the game at their pace on their terms, that's why I would be confident after seeing the way Ole Miss threw the ball last year because – the passing game last year was essentially non-existent. And, you know, who would have thought Ole Miss's best offense would be pushing the ball down the field with Matt? No one would have ever guessed that. And so that's why I would say it would give them confidence. What would give them pause is probably the exact opposite, is the defense played really poorly last week. Like, you know, Kentucky can wear you down. They're slow and methodical, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts or whatever. That is definitely something that Ole Miss, you know, if this game is played on Kentucky's terms, Ole Miss is not going to have a lot of an answer for it, particularly if those linebackers are not fantastic in the run game. Because there were a couple instances last week where they missed a tackle and it was off to the races. It was over. A lot of pressure on them in the middle. Brian, the state of Mississippi put up a lot of offense over the weekend with Ole Miss against Florida and the Mississippi State, what they did with LSU. I know this game is at the end of the season, but how excited are you for that Egg Bowl matchup with Kiffin and Leach and those two offenses? Yeah, I got a couple of texts on Saturday afternoon as that state game kept getting deeper and deeper, trying to guess the over-under of the Egg Bowl. And, like, someone had me halfway convinced that it could have been in the 90s. And, yeah, we we have a long way to go that gets there, but it's going to be a fun game. You figured it would just from a storyline perspective with Leach and Kiffin. It's kind of interesting seeing those two guys, you know, having the occupations that they do after the whole freeze and Mullen thing to get to a level of toxicity. I'm not sure it'll ever return to, let's knock on wood, but unlike anything really anyone had ever seen, and, you know, once those guys kind of moved on 
the whole like bitterness aspect was still there. Just the teams weren't very good. So it just kind of turned into a national clown show, depending on what vantage point you're looking at it from on Thanksgiving night. I mean, Hell, last year you had the team you – know, Ole Miss loses the game essentially because the guy lifted his leg and pissed like a dog. <laughs> and the struggling kicker misses the extra point in the game then. So I think it will be must-see TV for much different reasons this year and probably the right ones. What did you call it last night, the the piss and mess or whatever on the extra point? I think they're selling T-shirts called the piss and mess. Most of them are sold in Starkville, though. <laughs> that's, uh, that's incredible. Yeah, like I said last night, I uh, was someone that had a financial interest in that game. Uh, I did too. Last November, <laughs> so that was that was a big miss. Just an unbelievable way. I was trying to just think in terms of of my team and whatever sport losing in such a ridiculous manner. Truly, I've never seen anything like it. It was it was unreal. Yeah, but, it was it was un- unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. I, I was standing on the sideline, and I, I'm too short to actually see some over some of these people. So I actually did not see what Moore did until we got in and a TV guy showed me in the press conference room. So I, I'm walking off the field having no idea why there's a penalty or what happened. It, it was crazy. So it was – I mean, obviously I'm sure he you know had to live that down within his own fan base, but the, what he did Saturday, that kind of uh, make up for some of that 223 yeah, yards, 10 catches. Yeah, it's a tough, like, it's an interesting guy for it to happen to because he was literally, other than Ely and a couple of the running backs, Scotty Phillips was banged up towards the end. He was literally their only weapon and the only one in the passing game. Like, he's a bona fide, seriously, he is a bona fide superstar in that sense. He's an incredible route runner. Like, he is incredible guard. A breakout season, then all of a sudden it gets defined by an end zone celebration. I think Greg McElroy called it a teaching moment um, in the broadcast last week. You know, for something that had a direct effect on, like, six different coaches in the state and, like, millions of dollars, a teaching moment may be a little bit light, but I do think he learned and matured from it to that point. So, yes, I think he's a little bit more mature. He's definitely learned from his experience. But it's an interesting guy for it to happen to because he's very serious and kind of a no-nonsense guy for it to you – know, I would put it this way. There are three, four others I would have guessed that might have happened to before him. Yeah, that's good stuff, Brian. Um, Brian, tell tell uh, our listeners where they can find you on social media. Sure, at BSRippy on Twitter, at B-S-R-I-P-P-E-E, uh, Ole Miss 247, doing a couple podcasts a week, and some uh, kind of opinion stuff during the week and on Sundays. Well, Brian, we appreciate you taking time uh, to join us tonight. That was, that was a great interview. I always enjoy talking to you. Uh, we'll wrap it up with this and uh, come back and finish our last segment here on Kentucky Daily. Call Bryant Law, 261-7381. This is attorney Jeremy Bryant. Have you been injured at work in the last 24 months? Contact Bryant Law. We want you to understand that every dime an insurance company keeps from you is another one they keep in their pocket. You're entitled to just compensation. So don't let the insurance company tell you what's proper. After all, you're the one who has been injured on the job. I'll evaluate your case and tell you the truth. Call Bryant Law in Corbin and get what you deserve. Visit online at jeremybryantlaw.com. Welcome back to Kentucky Daily. Derek, that was Brian Rippey. I thought that was a very solid interview. And it's honestly, it's a segment that I'm enjoying that we're doing on the show. And that was your idea to do that, to bring someone on from the opposing team's beat to give us some information. Because honestly, like I told you, I hadn't really looked a ton at Ole Miss 
going into this week. This week has just been so busy that I haven't really time had time to sit down. I was probably planning on sitting down tomorrow and doing that, but now I feel like I know a little bit more or a lot more about who Kentucky's opponent is before I even get into that depth chart and look at it tomorrow. No question. I went on his podcast uh, Tuesday night, and that helped me get a better idea of uh, that roster and, and kind of what to expect. One thing I wanted to mention, I don't think we did during the interview, is uh, Elijah Moore is someone, <laughs> like Brian talked about, if you watched the Egg Bowl last year, it's, it might have been the first time you heard of Elijah Moore. It certainly was for me. And when I saw those numbers on Saturday, I was like, man, that, that's, that guy sounds familiar. And then I remembered that's who it was. But of relevance, though, uh, you know, the type of player he is, if you don't know much about him, Brad White uh, on last night during his press conference compared Elijah Moore to Tutu Atwell at Louisville, who I'm sure people are much more familiar with. So he's that same kind of receiver, like five foot nine. Uh, I think he's a little bit heavier than Tutu is, but kind of that same kind of explosive playmaking. And he will be a guy, along with uh, Jerry Neely, that Kentucky will really need to account for on Saturday. He certainly didn't piss away his opportunity Saturday. He no. He definitely had a nice game, and I, I thought that was so funny, the pit, piss and miss. That is, uh, you and I both were were betting men during that game last year, and I, I remember you actually texting me like, what was that? Why did he do that? It cost me. I think I'm think i sure I said at that PG as well. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> P, maybe the letter P and G were in there somewhere. I just don't know where, where they were placed, but they weren't back-to-back at all. Uh, no, but everyone remembers that Egg Bowl. And Derek, that, that's a matchup that I'm honestly looking forward to as an SEC fan, someone that covers an SEC team. I can't wait to see Leach. And by the way, if you're not following Mike Leach on Twitter, you're really missing out. Yeah, I mean, this said Egg Bowl this year will be uh... – no, I mean, nobody's – it's just the offense the whole day probably, just team after team uh, going up and down the field. Neither – hard to say about Mississippi State's defense. I'd like to see a little bit more. Like Just from talking to Brian, it kind of sounds like there's not much hope for the Ole Miss defense this year, whereas Mississippi State, they kind of run a little bit of a weird defense, like a 3-3-5. I believe their defensive coordinator, I think his name's Zach Garnett. They hired him from Navy, I want to say. It was one of the academies, uh, one of the military schools. And uh, so that's a bit of an odd look. You don't really see that at all in the SEC, so maybe that will give some teams some trouble. But, no, it was uh, – that's going to be a great game. And Leach is just a different kind of guy. He certainly has his detractors. I mean, uh, God, I mean, you're talking about his Twitter. He got some hot water over the summer with tweeting out the news, I believe, which it wasn't in regards to race. I think it was about a – I can't remember what it exactly was about. But either way, given the political climate – or, sorry, just the social climate – Definitely a misjudgment on his part to tweet anything that could have, especially in the state with the history of Mississippi. I mean, not yeah. a not a great move there, but it sounds like they've moved on from that. And uh, you know, winning will help a lot of things. And then beating beating LSU in your first game to defend a national champs. He's he's certainly the talk of the SEC. I think he was the big story from week one. He is, and his his Tuesday tweet is definitely much better. He he actually tweeted a link. It says new owner wanted for this Arctic pub where polar bear stops to visit. That that's what Michael Leach has on his Twitter. Uh, no, I'm looking forward to that matchup. And I'll ask you this too, Derek. If if you're a Kentucky fan, aren't you happy? Kentucky fans should probably be happy that he didn't end up at Tennessee, where you'd have to. I mean, yes, you see him every year at Mississippi State, but. You know how we talked about Kentucky-Tennessee as the rivalry in our area. Kentucky yeah. fans probably wouldn't have been very happy if they had to deal with that because that offense is lethal. 
It wouldn't have been – I mean, he's got such a still passion, I would say. Like, it's message board talk, so take that for what it's worth. But he certainly has a message board following still within the Kentucky fan base. Every time over the last – I don't know, probably since he was at Texas Tech, every time UK went to hire a coach, I mean, he was someone who was thrown out there. Um, Washington State, obviously. I mean, that's this is really – even Starkville is a bit of a – place off the beaten path it's not really easy to get to Starkville everywhere he's ever been has been that way I'm curious how he would have been uh at a place that's such a pressure cooker like Tennessee at a time where they're hoping to get back I don't know if that would have been a great fit but he would have had good offenses I mean that's pretty undeniable he's been great on on offense everywhere he's ever been but the other parts of the job I think might have been a bit of a PR nightmare for Tennessee but if he was out there throwing up points and they beat UK you know pretty bad by throwing the ball through the air. It certainly would have made would have made Mark Stoops' life tougher at that point. Whereas now, obviously Tennessee's continued to beat Kentucky, but in a more traditional way. And I think the way Jeremy Pruitt is building that program, uh, traditional is a good word for it. Yeah. But, I mean, we're going to be talking a lot about the Mississippi programs the next two weeks. It starts yeah. with Ole Miss this Saturday at Kroger Field. Kentucky and Ole Miss will kick off at 4 p.m. Eastern time on the SEC Network for tomorrow's episode. We'll be joined by Taylor McGregor, who will be the sideline reporter for Kentucky Ole Miss. She is the she's also a field reporter for the Chicago Cubs with the uh, Marquee Sports Network. So we're going to be joined by her to talk and preview the UK Ole Miss matchup. And then uh, next week we'll jump right into Kentucky Mississippi State. But this has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. We'll see you tomorrow. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.